Geeks and Geekettes, welcome to another episode of Geeky Therapy. If you are new to the show, Geeky Therapy is a safe space to discuss, complain, analyze, and criticize the biggest happenings in popular culture. We focus on a variety of topics from movies, TV, to comics and technology, sometimes even delving into conspiracy theories. What you won't find here is the drama, the chaos, and the uncertainty of the weight that you call life. So come on in, leave all your crap outside the door, and relax. Therapy is in session. Ah, you're a bit early, but that's okay. Come in, have a seat. Now, tell me how you've been since our last session, Mr. Bane. No different than last week. Now, if I remember correctly, last week we ended with you expressing some concerns with your identity, particularly related to your mask. Ah, no one cared who I was till I put on the mask. Now, I don't know who I am without it. I no longer feel in control of my destiny. It sounds to me like there is a longing for others' approval. Perhaps something to do with your parents and upbringing. Parents? I was born in the dark. I was molded by it. I see. Why don't we try something? I'd like you to close your eyes and take a few slow, deep breaths. I think you are an excellent candidate for a new technique. It's a little different, a little unorthodox, and just a little geeky. Geeks and Geekettes, thank you for joining me again for another therapy session, as today we dive into a deep catharsis regarding a series of dilemmas that seems to continue plaguing the pop culture community across so many fandoms, and that is the transition of so many of our favorite comics stories and book series into movie form. Now, I've really wanted to express my thoughts on this matter since I saw Star Wars The Last Jedi and started reading and listening to so many reviews from fans who are deep into the Star Wars mythos. And it was interesting to me that so many of the complaints regarding the film came from a place of fans wishing that the director and the writers had pulled more from the Star Wars Extended Universe, from the books and the comics that have been released since the introduction of the Star Wars Universe uh, in movies, And I just thought it was so interesting that fans are up in arms and so upset about something that they created in their own head. 
And, and it's not to say that we're not all guilty of that, as I will touch upon probably multiple times throughout this session. But how can you argue that a movie was not good because the writers didn't do it the way you would have done it? Because the director didn't think to pull this aspect of a storyline that is buried deep in this extended universe or from this series of ideas completely created by Star Wars fans that are not even part of the canon and say that because the director didn't use these creative ideas that Star Wars fans have molded and set around and emphasized in their own heads for the past tens of, of years. Um, I don't know. I don't remember when the first Star Wars came out. I believe it was in the 70s, though. And there have been so many fan theories and fan ideas that have been going around to really build on what fans thought the future of Star Wars should be. And I just found it interesting that you can become so, so hateful and be so disappointed from expectations that I, I believe are just so unrealistic for a movie franchise. But nevertheless, this isn't my first foray into this subject. As, as recent as a year ago, I wrote for a website uh, many of you may know of called moviepilot.com. I was one of the fan creators for the site, meaning I worked for free. And um, there were no expectations on my part. I was allowed to write articles and upload them. And MoviePilot could publish, edit, and do what they wanted with them. But one of the articles I did end up writing for them was discussing why comic stories cannot directly be adapted from the comics and put into movie form. And, you know, and that stemmed from the plethora of superhero-based films that have been coming out since uh, the early 2000s and how much hate so many of these films get because, quote-unquote, they didn't do it like it was in the comics. The storytelling devices of comics are so dissimilar from movies that it's you can't just pull the pictures and pull the dialogue straight from a comic page and turn it into a 3D form with voices and actors. It just cannot directly be developed in such a way. Um, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break down uh, various reasons why, one, books and comics are not actually made into movies. And, I, and that'll be the first thing I, I start discussing. Uh, and second, why we as viewers and as fans become so disappointed, uh, hateful towards and really become disillusioned by the future of so many movie franchises because of how far they stray from the source materials. This phenomena of books being translated into movies goes back way before the pop culture boom of the 2000s. But I think that once studios really started pulling from uh, source material that has such a deep and long following, such as Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Marvel, DC, you know, once you start pulling from stories 
that have been followed for so many years by so many people, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up. I think movie studios may know that they will receive just as much hate as they will love. But, you know, it's not as simple. I, I just don't think it's as simple as saying, look, we're disappointed with the movies based on our favorite, whatever it may be, because we just love it so much that there's no room for anything other than disappointment. You know, it's just not as simple as that. There's so many aspects that I really feel go into the the perceptions we have regarding these movies, as well as the time invested in books and specifically how that time is invested. But but as I, as I noted earlier, I really want to start with saying that books are not made into movies. They are not. So often, more times than not, movies that are based on a book or a comic, I'm just going to say book, but please know I am including comics in that. Anytime a movie is made into a book, the words adapted from, inspired by, or based on tend to be used. And there is a reason why, specifically with books, it they tend to use the words adapted from, or at least the word adapted, which is why every year at the Academy Awards, there is a category for best adapted screenplay, which is, of course, a, a movie screenplay that is taken from an already existing story. Now, for, for all of my listeners, I have the Oxford Dictionary definition of adapt pulled up. And I'm going to read it, and I want to read it real slowly, clearly, enunciate each syllable so that you hear what I say. Adapt. Make suitable for a new use or purpose. Modify. Alter to make it suitable for filming, broadcasting, or the stage. So the first definition I read was the general definition for adapt, but they also had a, uh, a sub-definition that was created specifically for the adaptation of a source material to another medium, which I thought was really interesting and really cool that... Um, that the Oxford Dictionary would include that. Now, I'm using the online Oxford Dictionary. If you go into a real Oxford Dictionary, if you happen to have one because, you know, you were born in the 1950s, um, I thought it was really cool that they included this considering how prevalent uh, adapted movies are these days. But, again, alter to make it suitable for filming. The stories that you read are not being turned into movies. Studios are pulling simply an idea from the story you love, a linear plot, the main plot, a primary plot, primary characters, maybe the primary theme, but it's all based on primaries. If you really break down any story you've read, any book, any comic, any book series even, and you break down these stories, you will find that the primary plot 
when stripped away from all of the subplot side characters, um, inner dialogues, when you strip away all, all, all of the extra accessories and you get down to the nitty gritty, it's a very basic story. And that is what you end up seeing put on a screen most of the time. You know, when it, when it comes to discussing this particular part, I really think about the Harry Potter book series. Um, throughout the story, Harry, Hermione, and Ron, they so often enter Diagon Alley and explore the various shops and meet so many interesting characters that are one-offs for, um, for a few pages or are so minor that only the most hardcore fans can even remember their names. And in the movies, you really think about it. They visit Diagon Alley a handful of times, probably 10 times less than they do throughout the books. Um, and that is because the film series adapts the primary storyline, and that is Harry versus Voldemort. Everything else is just an extra accessory. And the reason why they can they only pull that primary plotter and primary characters, the primary idea is because a movie only has so much time to deliver to us as an audience the ideas that it wants to share, the emotions that it wants to share, the information that it wants to share. You really think in a movie you may, a director and screenwriters, they may have 10 seconds to translate an emotion to us as an audience, whether it's through dialogue, or it is through the score, or it's through the setting, or, or, the, or a change in color tone, whatever device it is they use, they have you know, 10, 15 seconds for us to receive a translation of whatever information they want us to know, whatever emotion they want us to know. In a book, you may have 10 pages of gut-wrenching emotional description and character development and inner dialogue that lets us get into sides of the story and aspects of the character that in any other medium we would not be able to, to glance at. Books have unlimited amounts of time. Yes, I understand that, you know, publishers may have page limits, but have you looked at the Harry Potter books, the Lord of the Ring books, Game of Thrones? They're not short books. They give us plenty of time to understand in the deepest ways what the writer the author specifically in this sense, what the author is trying to, to get us to see or get us to know or get us to feel. And unfortunately, movies, you know, to be a feature film, I believe it has to be at least 90 minutes long. I believe that's right. I could be wrong. But I believe a feature film has to be 90 minutes long. And you see, usually the longest movies tend to be about a quarter, a quarter less than three hours. So about two, 245. Um, at least that's about how long Infinity War was. And um, how long does it take you to read a book? Even if you're a quick reader, do you read it that quickly? Do you finish a book in two, three hours? 
I'm not talking a short book, okay? Dr. Seuss doesn't count. I'm talking about a book that has enough material to be turned into a movie. No, you don't finish books in two and a half hours, right? At some point, you have to put it down. Real life gets in the way. You want to give time for characters to be fleshed out. uh, And you want to take your time and make sure you're not missing any important detail. Movies don't have that benefit. And because movies don't have that benefit, we don't get that benefit. Because we can only receive what is shown to us on the screen. Speaking of which, what is shown to us on the screen is what the director and what the screenwriters want us to see. When we watch a movie based on a book we like, we're not comparing the book to the movie. We are comparing what the director wants us to see versus what we have seen. We're comparing our perception of the book to the director's perception of the primary story. Think about how much time, again, we spend so much time with these books, with these comics, with these series. And unlike movies with books, but but it, it's not limited to, to the traditional novel, because even with comics that give us pictures, sometimes we still create an image in our head of what we are experiencing. We create the characters. We create what they look like based on the descriptions. We have an idea of what the setting is like, how these characters feel. And we spend so much time creating this story in our head, as well as reading what the author gives to us on paper, that when the movie is shown and we're watching that movie, and those things don't add up, those things don't match up with what we have created, that is our expectations and our perceptions ruining our experiences of the motion picture version. It's not the director's fault that we created this fantastical idea in our head. It's not the screenwriter's fault. It's not the composer's fault that the feelings we feel we should feel, that we should experience during certain parts of the movie aren't translated in the film version. It's not their fault, it's ours. If you have a great imagination, I bet you hate the movies even more because you have probably developed the perfect version of this book, the perfect vision of the characters, the perfect emotional experience during the climax. And the movie will likely not meet your anticipations. I remember watching a comedy special by uh, Louis Black, and he stepped out on the stage, and you know the crowd was going crazy, and he let them clap for a little bit. He let them hold the applause for a while. And once the applause stopped, he said, I really, now I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, I really hope you enjoyed this, because it will not get any better than that. The anticipation will always be more exciting than what is actually delivered. And I believe that 100%, I really do. And it is our anticipations so often that ruin our experiences at the movies. Something that I don't think people really think about is how passive watching a movie is 
even as a critic. I wouldn't consider myself a hard critic, but I do consider myself pretty critical of films. Even as a critic, watching a movie, even in a sense of analyzing the tone and the tonal shifts and the cinematography and how the score is used to promote the emotional changes, even analyzing all those things while watching a movie, it's still pretty passive. My mind can stay relaxed, my imagination can stay turned off, and I can just watch as is. The only information I'm really taking in is going to be the auditory and the visual information, and that's kind of it. When you're reading a book, it is so much more active because you're not only taking in the information from reading the words on the page, but your imagination has to remain active in order for you to develop deeper ideas for what you're reading, to be able to develop visualizations for what you're reading. And the visualizations that you create are going to be your ideal versions because you're the one making them. And so what happens is you end up putting so much more work into reading these books and these stories and you put in very little work watching the movie that the movie feels so much less rewarding naturally because you have put so much time and mental effort into the book. I mean, imagine that you were to draw a picture, color it, frame it, and put it on a wall. And then imagine that you took a picture that was in a coloring book, you pulled it out, you colored it, and you taped it on the wall. Which one do you think you would feel more accomplished about? Both of which you put in some sort of time and some sort of effort in, but one clearly required much more than the other. One required so many more resources, not just mentally, but physically. And I know that that's a very loose example, and there are probably 25 different flaws one listener is going to find in that example. But it is so much more rewarding to complete a book, to complete a story with all of the ideas of it we have in our head, than it is to just passively watch a movie. And during all of that time, we get multitudes more information about characters and about plot and subtext and all of that. Something I mentioned a few times in regards to the differences between the movies and, and the books in which they're based is uh, inner dialogue. And I think this is about the third or fourth time I've used those words, inner dialogue. When you're reading a book, there are many times in which you get to know what the character is directly thinking in any situation. Because a book's timing and pacing is really up to us, um, the author can afford to take a break from whatever is happening externally to the character and give us a glimpse inside their head or inside their emotions um, or inside some personal uh, internal experiences that, that a certain character is having. And that allows us to spend so much more time with these characters. It allows us to essentially grow closer to these characters. And what happens is a movie doesn't give us any of that. And it really wouldn't make sense or fit 
in the realm of of filmmaking to do such a thing. I mean, there are movies that do it, but they do it for specific reasons and it tends to revolve around the plot. For example, uh, in, I want to say 2000, but it may be 2001, uh, Christopher Nolan directed a movie called Memento. And Memento, if you haven't seen it, please, 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 just stop the podcast now. I want you to walk out of this therapy session, and I want you to find a copy of Memento, and I want you to sit down, I want you to shut off the rest of the world, and I want you to watch it. Because it is a brilliantly made film that will leave you thinking and wondering and pondering for days after. Um, but Memento is about a, um, a guy who has short-term memory loss. Uh, he has the ability. Uh, he had an accident. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into any details. Um, all I'm gonna say is he he has some sort of accident, some sort of trauma, and he has uh, anterograde amnesia, which means that he has the inability to form new memories. Um, and about every five minutes, he forgets uh, whatever he he has experienced in the five minutes prior. Um, and he's trying to find his wife's killer. Okay. Um, in that movie, uh, there's a lot of inner dialogue as we as we hear the main character uh, kind of talk to himself in his own head because he's trying to remember things that have just occurred to him or some things that he has just experienced because he doesn't want to forget them. Um, and he has an interesting system of how he remembers how he how he remembers certain things. Um, but again, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to say anything. Um, the editing. And the uh, cinematography for the movie uh, is interesting because the way it is done is there are two, you're kind of watching two versions of the same movie. One is in color and the other is in black and white. Um, and it's, uh, they are structured chronologically different. Um, I'm not going to tell you what way again. I'm not, I'm trying not to spoil it as much as possible. Um, and, and the way that it's done is it's supposed to kind of simulate for us the mental state of the of the uh, of the main character. Now, it's Memento is not a film for everyone, and and I have met many people who think Memento is is a nonsensical film. It doesn't make sense. It uh, you know the ending was stupid. They don't understand it. And if they read the uh, the short story, I bet you that they would enjoy it much more because they would have they would have time to process and to understand and to reflect on uh, the character's experiences. Um, but in in the traditional blockbuster film, because really, Memento was a very uh, indie um, was a very indie and art based film, uh, very beautifully shot. Um, but but the fandoms, the primary fandoms in the world, the Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potters, the Marvels, uh, go back to things that I wasn't big fans of. But the Twilight, um, the Fifty Shades. Um, you go back to that. Those are not made to be artistic. Let's let's face it. They are made to make money. And to make money, you need audiences to want to see these movies. You cannot leave them confused. And so while inner dialogue and uh, 
things like that are are well receptive in books in movies we have to rely on on subtexts and dialogue and maybe what isn't being said uh, and and visuals which can be very inconsistent in movies uh, to get that deeper understanding and and you know unfortunately we just can't always get that again where in books we get all of it or at least authors are able to offer all of that to us. Um, something else that, that's really interesting to think about is, uh, again, when we're reading a story, um, now this one, I think, uh, uh, directly applies to both books and comics alike. Um, so if you're reading a book, you get descriptions of characters, what they look like, what they generally wear, what their personality is like, how they interact with others. And then in your head, with your imagination, you develop an, you know, an idealized sense of what this character looks like and who they are. In comics, we get that. We get an artist's interpretation of what a character is supposed to look like, what they're supposed to act like, their mannerisms, things of that nature. And even though we're given some sort of visual representation of that character, in our heads, we can still alter it to what we'd like. Or we can alter it to past iterations of that character drawn by a different artist. For example, um, for those of you that know me, uh, my favorite comic book character is Laura Kinney, who is X-23. Um a female clone of Wolverine. For those of you who have not seen Logan, are fans of the X-Men, or have very little pop culture knowledge, which, if that is you, I, I don't know why you'd be listening to, to this show, because uh, I would think that you would be very uninterested. Um, but if you are not a big uh, fan of pop culture and you happen to enjoy what I say, uh, I do appreciate you listening and spending the time. But, uh, so with X-23... There are so many different visual representations of her, from from child to teenager to, I guess, young adult. And in my head, I read a few a few comics of X twenty three that were drawn by, uh, and I apologize because I'm going to butcher this name, Sana Takeda. The way that Takeda drew X-23 was almost in an anime style. Uh, everything was very smooth. Everything was rounded. Uh, the coloring was well blended. And ever since I saw that depiction of her, anytime I read X-23 comics or I see art prints, uh, I compare them to that image of her. Because in my head, that is my idealized Laura Kinney. This is what she looks like. When we get a movie, think about how quickly a character can be ruined for us simply by the casting choice. And how quickly we as fans are to judge these casting choices. I know that everyone goes back to the well on this one. And somewhere, someone is going to groan when I say it. But Heath Ledger's casting as the Joker. Long story short, everyone said it was a terrible move. How could he play the Joker? And to this day, considered 
almost universally, the best depiction of the Joker ever on the silver screen. Okay? And that's not the first time. Not everyone... Not everybody was on board with Robert Downey Jr., who was someone who, you know, was in prison and had all these drug issues. Um, no, not everyone was on board with him playing Iron Man, playing Tony Stark. He was not that well received. After the first movie, what happens? No one else could ever play him. He always has to be Robert Downey Jr. He is Tony Stark. So based on an actor, the actor choice or the actress choice, we can automatically poo-poo on, on a character that we may have loved completely. Um, not just based on the casting, but also how, how that ch- casting choice acts out the character. Okay. Sometimes, uh, you know, we, we may get a, we may get an actor that looks exactly or close to our idealized version of a character from a story. And then they go and screw it up with the way they speak or the accent they use, or their mannerisms, and we're like, oh, you know what, that really just doesn't match who this character is, because clearly we are experts on these characters after we spend however many hours uh, with these stories. Um, But it is the book, and it is our imagination that ends up setting a standard for these characters, as well as every other aspect of the story that we have discussed prior to this point. It is... The book and our perspective and our perception and our imagination that creates um, that creates the standard to which we compare the movie. There aren't a lot of things that can stand up to our imagination because our imagination knows our preferences. I think a more practical point for this discussion are the purposes behind the book and the movie. Now, I'm not saying that this is you know, black and white, but, you know, when an author, in my mind, an author writes a book because they want to share something with people. I am sure that there are authors that write books because they want to be rich. They want to go on the book tours. They want to find fame. I am sure there are plenty of authors that do that. But when you look at the memoirs and you look at the deep fantasy and all the time they spend on this, I think it would be a disservice to the author to... Um, disregard how much care they are are showing these stories for us as readers, for us as consumers of of their imagination and 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 their perspectives. When when these books are adapted for movies, you know, it's kind of hard not to think and look at it like, hey, the studio thinks that they can make money off this, you know. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's the studios that are making the decision to to adapt a story. Yes, once a director is aligned um, and actors start filling out the cast, I am sure that somewhere those uh, those particular pieces for the movie, uh, director, screenwriter, all of that, that they have some sort of passion for wanting to share this with with us as an audience. I'm sure that they do. But again, the primary decision to even adapt a book into a movie goes back to the studio head saying, we can make a profit off of this. Let's do this. And and those things, you know, I think a lot of times that can be that can be felt in a movie. Back in the day, uh, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, uh, I did get very interested in the twilight phenomenon. Um, 
and a friend of mine was reading the books and I uh, began borrowing them from him and I read the entire series, Twilight, New Moon, Breaking Dawn. I don't know if there are any others. Those are the only three I can remember. Uh, I think there was another one that was written in, in Edward's perspective. Um, but I read the books and I have to say, I, I, I enjoyed them. I did. Not the best books I ever read. Not the worst books. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed finishing it. I felt like the story was was uh, was well done. Uh, it was encapsulating. Most of the characters were memorable. Needless to say, the movies did not match any of those descriptions for me. I thought the movies were terrible. The Twilight franchise actually represents one of two times that I have ever fallen asleep in a movie theater. The first time involved a 21-hour drive from New York to Mississippi and a stop in Atlanta to watch um, Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F that was in theaters for a limited time. The second time I ever fell asleep, and now, now during that, now that I fell asleep for maybe, uh, you know, five, ten minutes. It was a quick power nap. Um, upon re-watching the movie, I didn't miss anything integral to the story. The second time, well, that was actually the second time, if I'm thinking uh, chronologically. So the first time I ever fell asleep in a theater, it did not involve any cross-country driving. It was local. And my girlfriend at the time uh, wanted to go see New Moon, which I believe is the second, the second movie in the Twilight series. And not only did I fall asleep, it was not a power nap. I was out for a good 20, 25 minutes. And I was not tired. I was bored. I was so bored by what was being translated on the screen. And if there's any franchise that, for me personally, I feel was made with little care for the source material, with little care for it, and really as a money grab for teenage girls or vampire addicts or werewolf lovers, it is the Twilight series. If you are a fan of the Twilight series, I do not apologize for my opinions. Um, I do say that, you know, I, I respect you enjoying it and liking it, but the movies were absolutely abysmal. You know, I know that there are so many ideas that if studios, movie studios used or, or made different decisions that... Uh, they could probably make the fan bases, the loyal fan bases, so much more happy. But like I mentioned in um, one of my reviews, I couldn't, I can't remember if it was the spoiler or the non-spoiler review for Infinity War. These movies are not made for the fans. They are made for everybody. Studios do not want to limit the amount of money they can make by uh, targeting a small and specific audience. They want to make these things for the general audiences so they can bring in as much money as possible. Okay. Um, but, you know, what do you guys think? Why, I mean, it, do you think it is strictly just your experiences? Do you think it's strictly just your expectations that ruin movie adaptations for you? Uh, because I can tell you that not every book that I have read or story that I've read, or comic series, 
is better than the movie adaptation or TV adaptation. Um, now, I'm not including TV in this discussion because you have a lot more time to flesh things out with TV. Um, you know, you can have about you know ten hours to flesh out a story, whereas with a movie, again, you're probably looking hour and a half, two and a half hours. Um, barring any discussion about all of the controversy about this TV series, Thirteen Reasons Why, a uh, Netflix original uh, that I'm sure many of you have heard of, is based off of a book that I have read, and the book takes place over a period of about twenty four hours. And you you meet only a handful of those characters, like personally meet them in the story. You really only learn about them through Clay's listening to the cassette tapes. And that's pretty much the book. The TV show occurs over, what, weeks? Has all these extra legal issues, all of these added subplots. The characters are so much more fleshed out and you meet these characters in the present time instead of just through uh, a cassette recording of what these characters have done to someone else. 13 Reasons Why is one of those adaptations from a story that is, to me, infinitely better than its source material. Um, Pretty much all the movies in the MCU I have to say, are better than whatever source material they were based on because, and this is my biggest thing, when people complain, why couldn't they just do what they did in the comics? Why couldn't they just do what they did in the books? Why do you want that? You already have that. You already have that story. Not only do you already have that story, you already have the perfect, most ideal version of that story in your head. Why do you want to see the same thing? If you want the same thing, just go read it again. Movies, the the one thing I will say is that the movie adaptations give us another story that's based on what we enjoy. But it gives us something different, something, a new experience. Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is such a divided film in regards to fans. The general audience enjoyed it. But... Comic fans, Iron Man fans, were not so receptive to the change in the Ten Rings storyline that was adapted. When it was discovered that the Mandarin was just a a friend um, and wasn't actually the character that we knew him to be in the comics as the leader of the terrorist organization, the Ten Rings, um, you know, and so many fans just took giant shits on that movie because that one specific detail was changed to fit the cinematic story that was being told in Iron Man 3. And I think that was one of the first times that I really started thinking about uh, my experiences with comic-based movies and how I tend to enjoy so much of them, uh, DC movies aside, But I enjoy, there's really no MCU movie that I haven't enjoyed. Um, Now, I said, you know, DC films aside, um, because I do have a sour taste in my mouth for for the majority of them. Uh, The only good DC-based movie of the the recent recent one, you know, kind of this recent uh, universe they've 
created, uh, disregarding anything before that, um, was Wonder Woman. That really is the only good one. Um, but I do think that Man of Steel was serviceable. Uh, and I do actually enjoy, and I hate Superman. Absolutely hate him. I think he's a boring character. Um, but I, I did enjoy the, the way in which he was portrayed in Man of Steel. Where I think Warner Brothers uh, messes up or, or has, has royally screwed the pooch in regards to their movies is they are trying to create a comic movie. They are trying to have the feel and the look of comic books translated on the screen almost directly. The darker tone, um, both emotionally and visually, um, very choppy storytelling. It's almost as though we're watching panels in a comic book in which there are, in comic books, if you don't know, there tend to be many gaps. And our imagination can fill the gaps based on subtext and and the picture art. We can fill in the blanks of, oh, this is what has transpired between these two panels. And it seems like uh, when Warner Brothers produces these films that they're edited in such a way that it's almost like we're watching a comic book on screen uh, with the inconsistent storytelling and, and gaps of knowledge being left out so that uh, consecutive scenes uh, just don't make sense. Comics can be choppy. The story can be told in a choppy manner. Not every scene in a comic book immediately follows the scene prior. In a movie, you have to maintain some sense of linearity for audiences to be able to follow along. Because again, as a movie viewing audience, we are not allowed the time to sit there and stop and think about things and piece things together and then return. We can do that with a book. We can't do that with a movie. So I, I think I'm going to stop it there. I can turn down so many other avenues in regards to this, uh, this topic from the dual storytelling of comics, um, writing and art. Uh, you know, versus all of that intertwined in a movie, uh, as well as the uh, setups and background information and character development and the way uh, that those aspects of storytelling have to be handled differently between books and movies. But think about the last movie or TV show uh, that you watched in which you also read the source material. And think, if you never read the source material, if you take out any of your complaints based on the way you think things should be or the way you know things are based on the source material, you take out all those complaints and all those questions, how many complaints are you really left with? Because that'll set the difference between whether your expectations are ruining your cinematic experiences or the directors and the studios are ruining them for you. There's so many stories that we love, so many stories that we follow. And there will continue to be movies made and TV shows made based on them because that is the society and the culture in which we live at the moment. Will you make the choice and the conscious effort to begin accepting these mediums of your joys and your fandoms as they are and as they are delivered to us? Or will you continue 
to dwell in the distress of feeling as though a part of your childhood or a part of your hobby or a part of your interests have been torn apart and ruined by another movie studio. As always, thank you for joining me for today's session. I hope that I have helped open your eyes to the horrors that we have created for ourselves within Hollywood's pop culture boom. And I hope that you have really heard my words and that you give yourself a chance to enjoy these things as they are, enjoy the movies as they are. And rather than expect the movie to be a copy of your book, which it will not be, accept it almost as a side plot to your book as another way of looking at your book rather than a carbon copy of something that you have spent so much time with and so much love on. Until our next session, folks, this is your therapist signing off, and I will speak to you again.